0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, today's uh, scripture passage is taken from Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verse sixteen to twenty, and First Timothy chapter two, verse one to seven. I'll uh, give us a moment to grab our Bibles or e Bibles, and you can follow the passage on the screen as well. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Second Timothy sorry first Timothy chapter two verse one. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hey, good morning everyone. Let's go to God in prayer. Or oh, good afternoon actually. Okay, dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to pray that you help us to focus on your word, to have a heart that is your heart, to want to see the world saved. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week I recommended a series of talks by my previous principal, Peter Jensen, on the topic of dying well. So on talk three, uh, when I was listening, he gave a really powerful Uh, story which uh, affected him he shared about how he'd been trying to share the good news of jesus christ with a a dear friend of his uh, but this friend had been quite resistant for many years and this friend was now dying she was very angry she was very bitter but then one day peter went to visit her and he realized that a change had come over her she was now different her demeanor was different so he asked her what's going on you know what's happened And then the lady said to him, I've decided to believe in Jesus. That's wonderful, Peter said. What made you change your mind? She said it was something that she had been, you know, she had remembered the scripture school teacher teaching her over 60 years ago. Now isn't that wonderful? That somebody probably completely forgotten her and what he had taught her or she had taught her 60 years ago, had now been so fixed in her mind that she remembered that lessons, or those lessons 60 years ago, and now in her dying moments, right, had decided to become a Christian. Now, that's such a wonderful story, and today as we come to Missions Sunday, I was thinking, isn't it a really wonderful thing if all of us would be able to share these encouraging stories of the Word of God, right, which had been shared and which bore fruit many years later the fruit which actually comes about right and impacts a person's life before they actually die so today as we come to mission sunday i think the proper place to start is to ask the question what is church what is church right because we need to start with our identity who we are first before we can start to ask the question what we need to do right what action we need to take so what is church Many years ago, when my kids were about this high in primary school, we went on a holiday to Zurich in Switzerland. My uncle lives there. Anyway, when we went to Zurich in Switzerland, I made it a point to go to this place called Zwingli's Church. Now, you all may not know who Zwingli is, but Zwingli was like one of the great reformers in the Protestant Reformation. Obviously, he's not as famous as people like John Calvin or Martin Luther, but he's still a significant person. Anyway, significant enough for me to decide to go and find his church and to visit it when I was in Zurich. So we went to the church in Zurich and this is what it looks like, the outside. You can see there's a, there's a statue of Ulrich Zwingli at the front there. But when I went there, we realized, I think my wife and my kids, probably too young to remember, that actually it wasn't really a living church anymore. We went to the church. There were just a handful of chairs inside. Didn't seem to be, you not know, any any bulletins or anything, it just seemed like a tourist site. And indeed, when we went there, there was just like a handful of people there, right? Hardly anybody there. all. Oh. so what is church? What is church? Right? Last week, Rohintan was preaching from Acts chapter 20. And in verse 28, it tells us the definition of what church is from God's perspective, right? So Paul says to the Ephesian elders, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So the first thing we learn when we ask this question, what is church? Is that the church is actually Jesus' church. The church of God bought, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we went that day to look in Zurich for Zwingli's church, actually it's not really Zwingli's church, right? It was actually the church of God bought by the blood of Jesus, which Zwingli just happened to pastor 700 years ago. The Bible also tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So what is church? Well, church is the church of God, Jesus' church bought by the blood of Jesus, but it's also made up of people who are united in Christ, right? That's the picture before. United in Christ with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, built up to become a temple of God where God dwells through His Holy Spirit, with His Holy Spirit. And so therefore, when I went to Zwingli's church, I got it wrong on two counts, right? It wasn't really Zwingli's church, it was Jesus' church, right? Bought by the blood of Jesus. And it wasn't really a church building, but really... I was looking for a people, a people who were in Christ, united in Christ and where God dwelt with His Spirit. Now that's really important for all of us to remember, because as we come here as an assembly of people, as a gathering, we are not our own, right? BDPC does not belong to us, we don't set the agenda, we don't set the mission, we don't set the direction of the church. But instead, God sets the direction of the church, it's Jesus' church. Is the mission of Jesus which we are here to fulfill. So what then is the mission of the church? What does Jesus want from his church? Well, if we come to the reading for today, Matthew chapter 28, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what we see here is the 11 disciples, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they went up to the mountain. And physically, they saw the risen Jesus. And what happened? They worshipped him. This word worship is a very important word. If you're a Jew, you only wish worship God, right? You cannot worship humans, cannot worship angels, cannot worship prophets. Only God is worthy of being worshipped. And so the, uh, some of the uh, disciples, they recognized Jesus for who he was and they worshipped him. And it's the same word that is used for when the women met Jesus in the tomb, right? When they, when they saw him outside the tomb. So Matthew chapter 28, in a few verses earlier, Suddenly, Jesus met them, the women. Greetings, he said, and they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Okay? So, the right response to the risen Jesus is to recognize him as God and to worship him. Now, the problem for us as Christians is sometimes, as Christians, we think that that's the only response that we give to Jesus, that we worship him. And we make the mistake of thinking that our worship is only coming to church on a Sunday for a couple of hours on a Sunday, and that's worship. So, for some Christians, we make a very big deal about coming to church 52 Sundays of the year. We want to get a 100% attendance record and we're happy, right? But the response to Jesus is not just worship for those few hours on a Sunday morning, afternoon. But worship is the whole of life, right? 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 28, right, a very direct instruction. And this is the core, the key commandment, the key imperative of this whole section, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples is the command of this section. And so, some people may say when they read this passage, oh, you know, Jesus is only speaking to the 11 disciples. He's only speaking to those apostles, Remember when we were doing the how to read the Bible faithfully section, right? We asked the question, who are the original audience? What is the original audience? The original audience of the book of Matthew were the Jews who were Christians 60 AD onwards, 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when Matthew collected his material and wrote to these early Jewish Christians, what was he trying to do? What was the purpose? He was trying to show these Jewish Christians how to live as disciples of Jesus, the fulfillment that Jesus brings or the promises of the Old Testament. And that's why Jesus wants to make the point, of Matthew wants to make the point through the words of Jesus, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And this applies to all Christians, not just the 11 disciples or the 11 apostles, but all of us sitting here today part of the Church of God bought by the blood of Jesus, are also given this command to go and make disciples of all nations. And so many years ago when I was studying in Australia, I knew of this uh, overseas student who went to this very, very old Baptist church. And he told me a very interesting story about this old Baptist church. Apparently, when they first went to this old Baptist church, it was just made up with a handful of white Anglo people, like 10 or 20 people in this very old Anglo, uh, sorry, I cannot call it the old Anglo, the old Baptist church, right? It was just made up of these old Anglo white people. And they've been there living in this neighborhood for decades, you know? But then they saw all these overseas students coming to the neighborhood, moving in, renting, studying. And they said to themselves, This church doesn't belong to us, right? God has given us this commission to break disciples of all nations. And so what they did was they very deliberately, very consciously wanted to open up the church and invite all these overseas students to become Christians. They they hired an ethnic pastor to go out and evangelize these overseas students and then today, 90% of this old Baptist church is now ethnic. Now, it could easily have been that these old Anglo white people said, oh, you know, this church belongs to us. You know, we've been here for decades. This is like our neighborhood, right? But then they recognized that this church wasn't their church, but Jesus' church. And the mission of the church was to go out and to bring the nations to to, to God and save right, the nations. And because of that, they put aside their natural, selfish, perhaps instincts, Or their own local regional desires to want to remain together and bring all these weird and wonderful overseas students to come to their church now that must be the same thing for us right because we also are like that as a church we do not belong to ourselves we are bought by the blood of jesus we are united in christ and god dwells in us through his spirit and god tells us that our mission The agenda of our church, the purpose of our church must be to go and make disciples of all nations. Now what does that look like in practice? How is it illustrated in the Bible to go and make disciples of all nations? Well, the first thing we see is to share, right? To speak the word boldly, preach the word wherever we go. We can see in the early church in the book of Acts, right? So Acts is part two of the book of Luke that we've been studying. In the book of Acts, we see that's what the early church did. So here in Acts chapter 4, right, uh, we see uh, the church and they're praying to God, they're talking. right? So indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had, before, had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Again, in Acts chapter 8, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And in verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. See, what's the, the mission of the church look like in practice? In order for people to make disciples of all nations, you need to open your mouth and speak the word of God boldly into the world. Now this is very different and very difficult in the world that we live in. Because we live in a world that increasingly is becoming very secular. And where increasingly your religion is supposed to be a very private matter. So I speak to you guys, especially the young people. The world will want you to keep your religion privatized. Privatized Christianity, privatized faith. So I remember speaking to a young person, not much older than you guys, a few years ago, and as a Christian, had gone overseas to work. And so I asked this lady, how do you share your faith as a Christian in your workplace? And this lady said to me, oh, I don't want to talk about religion at work. But that's exactly what the privatization of faith is, right? You keep your faith private. It's just between you and God. And that's what the secular secular world wants of you, right? To privatize your faith. But the reality is you cannot privatize your faith and keep your faith private between you and God and not open your mouth and still fulfill God's will Jesus' wish for the great commission to make disciples of all nations you must go out and speak the word boldly wherever you go so the last few Wednesdays quite a few of us have been attending this course called Friendship First it's about evangelizing to our M friends so so I remember one of the sessions really caught my attention. It was about uh, this guy sharing about this Muslim in England. And this Muslim had shared that my faith is part of me wherever I go. I will not hang up my faith in the clothes cabinet when I come to work. Uh, I mean, obviously, that works in England, because, you know, I don't know what they do in England, but maybe when they come to work, they take off their jacket and they hang it up, right? But that's what he was saying. He was saying... My faith is part of me, right? I cannot privatize my faith. When I go to work, my faith is as part of me as in private, and I will not hang up my faith in the clothes cabinet when I go to work. And that must be true for us as Christians too, right? We cannot go to work and hang up our faith in the clothes cupboard or the clothes cabinet when we go to work. We we are still Christian when we go to work and we speak the word of God boldly wherever we go. So, Uh, Nick Wong shared with me this uh, illustration which comes from this book called Evangelism, and I read a little bit of it. And he gives this example in this book by Max Stiles about how a lady from America was on a bus, and apparently it's like a longish bus journey, and she met a mainland Chinese who happened to sit next to her. She got to talking to the mainland Chinese lady next to her, and she invited her to come to church. When this mainland Chinese student came to church, she met some other Christians in the church who befriended her and also shared the gospel with her. A few weeks later, uh, this mainland Chinese lady met another person at church who spoke Mandarin who also shared uh, the gospel with her. And over time, she became a Christian. But the point of uh, the illustration in the book was that she didn't sign up for some... uh, you know, evangelism course, she didn't sign up for some Christianity Explore course or whatever. It was everybody in the church speaking the word boldly to her as she came in contact with them. And that should be the culture of church, right? If we are a church which takes seriously the commission to make disciples of all nations, then all Christians must speak the word of God boldly when they come in contact with those who are not saved. And that's what each of us should be doing, right? In the church, outside the church, in our schools, in our homes. That's that's what God has called us to do because we are not our own, but we are bought by the blood of Jesus. So the first thing that we need to do is to share, speak the word boldly, preach the word wherever you go. The second thing we can do is to send and support missionaries. We see that again in the Bible. So here in Colossians chapter 4, Speaking to the church in Colossae, Paul the Apostle writes, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you, sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Lydosia and Hierapolis. So what do we see here? We see that the Colossian church had sent one of their very own, Epaphras, to join Paul in his mission work, supporting him, helping him. And he's working hard together with Paul to minister to people also in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So this is what we see. We see the early church sending out their best, supporting the missions of Paul as well as of their own missionaries. Look at what it says here in the book of Ephesians. Oh, sorry, Philippians. Yet it was good for you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Aphrodite the gifts that you sent. Now you notice here what the church in Philippi are doing? They're supporting Paul in his mission work. Right? They're giving gifts to him. They're sending Epaphroditus to bring gifts and maybe even for Epaphroditus to be working together with him. So how do we make disciples of all nations? We support missionaries. We send out the very best of us to go out to minister to those abroad. And that's why it's quite sad sometimes when I hear of very large and established churches, and sometimes I go and visit and you can sort of look at their notice boards and everything, and sometimes you see they don't have even a single missionary from the whole church that they've sent out. You look at their budget and they're not spending anything on missions. All the money and resources are just spent in an inward, self-focused way, right? But that's not what we're supposed to do as the church of Christ, right? We're supposed to send out our best to support missions work. And so, I always recommend you to uh, buy this book if you don't have it, Operation World, where you pray for all the different countries in the world. I, I find it every time I pray through them, I, I find myself very refreshed as well. But often you read of nations who in the past were mission-sending nations. And one of the prayer points might be, pray for this country, right? Because, you know, over the last decades, the number of missions missionaries that have been sent out from this country has declined. Often when you read of those countries, hand in hand with those sort of prayer points, you also read about the decline of the church in those countries. And I think that's very true, isn't it? Because a church which doesn't take seriously the sending and supporting of missionaries is a church which doesn't take very seriously the Great Commission. And the church that doesn't take very seriously the Great Commission is a church that doesn't take God's word very seriously. And a church that doesn't take God's word very seriously is a weak and feeble church. And that's why we as a church should be 100% behind supporting people who are going out to do mission work and 100% behind supporting the, the finances behind mission work. Because that's what God has called us to do. Now last or. What we can also do is, apart from sharing and sending and supporting missionaries, we can also be praying, praying for everyone. Now today we looked at 1 Timothy, chapter 2, and it says, I urge then, first of all, that prayer, petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Now it begins by saying, I urge then first of all that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. The phrase, first of all, is not first thing you do, right? It's first in importance, first in priority. So praying, petitions, intercession, thanksgivings are priority actions for Christians. And first of all, first in importance is to pray for all people. In verse 2, it talks about praying for kings and all those in authority that we may live quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. But if you look at the context of verse 1 to verse 5, it's not that we may live quiet and godly lives and peaceful lives so that we may just be lazy and have nice meals and go to the beach. But we may live these lives so that all people may be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth and know Jesus Christ who died as a ransom for all people. So our petitions and prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving are for all people with the intent of salvation with the intent that they may know Jesus as their Saviour. Now this is so important for us because as I reflect on my prayer life and, and that's why I read the operational world, right? And, and and encourage you all to so much of our prayer is just within the four walls of our own household. Right? We pray for ourselves, we pray for our friends, and maybe occasionally, you know, slightly further afield. But here it says that first of all, first in importance, first in priority, let's pray for all people. Do we pray for people in Malaysia, in Indonesia, in Thailand, in China, in India, in Pakistan, in Bangladesh, in the Middle East? Do we pray for all those people? Because that's what we're meant to do, isn't it? All of these people need Jesus Christ because there's only one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And do we pray for evangelism opportunities within ourselves? Like when we go to our Bible studies, do we say, can you pray for so and so? I really like to have evangelism opportunities to share the gospel of this person. You see, the focus of our prayers, according to Paul in 1 Timothy, is first of all, right, petitions, prayers, intersections, thanksgiving for all people, right? For God wants all people to be saved. So in conclusion, what did we learn today? We learned, what is church, right? Church is not our own gathering, our own assembly. It is Jesus' church, God's church, bought by the blood of Jesus. It's made our people united in Christ, where God indwells with his spirit. What is the mission of the church? It's to go and make disciples of all nations. And how do we do it? We see in the Bible, the sharing of God's word boldly. Preaching of the word wherever people go. The sending and supporting of missionaries and the praying for everyone. So I began the, the sermon, the introduction of uh, my, my former principal, Peter Jensen, You know, talking about this lady who 60 years later, can you imagine 60 years later, remembered what her scripture class teacher had shared with her, and so was saved before she died. And I think it's so heartwarming, right? But in a sense, well, it's very rare, right? But it should be very common because that's what God calls all of us to. You know, we have so many opportunities to share, to support, and to pray. So, like tonight, we have the Dorm Workers Ministry, there's a National Day celebration, and uh, you know, we're going to be going there, sharing, talking eating with the dorm workers. The opportunity is there for us to befriend them and to share the good news with them one day. I remember there was this guy Eric who leads the ministry talking about how he befriended this Bangladeshi worker who became a Christian and now is back in Bangladesh sharing the good news in Bangladesh itself. We have the salt ministry where in our church we share with the domestic helpers from Indonesia, Philippines and Myanmar And there are ladies who are coming to Christ in the salt ministry. We have Ang Liang with the Batam orphanages and the schools, and we're going back in November. Wouldn't it be good if we get involved, we pray, we support, we share, that maybe 60 years from now, somebody in Batam or Bangladesh or Myanmar remembers, hey, you know, there was that Singaporean person from BTPC Who shared the good news with me, and I remember what they said, and because of what they said, they're saved in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't that be a wonderful story for all of us, right? We may never remember, we may never know whether that came true or not, but God can work through it. So I hope for all of us that we would really take seriously what God has said to us today, and we would take seriously. Desire to go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear fathers, we come before you today, we truly want to ask that you may be working in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is not just our Savior, but He's the Savior of all nations in the world. And you have called us through Jesus that as his church as his people to go and make disciples of all nations we pray that we may go and share the good news of jesus boldly wherever we are we pray that we may support the missionaries that we sent and if it is your will dear father that if you are calling us to go to be a missionary to physically give of ourselves to go to a foreign culture a foreign nation a foreign land that we will answer that call to go dear father may our prayers first of all first in priority first in importance be directed to the salvation of all people and we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ Amen
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church For more information visit us online at busypc.sg.